fleeting breath when my eyes shall close in death when I rise to worlds unknown and behold thee on thy throne rock of ages cleft for me let me hide myself in thee thank you Dave Chronological study of the Bible, our normal disclaimer for this part of the book of Proverbs, Solomon did not include this in his book. This is going to come up a lot as to why he possibly didn't include these things. I've got a second disclaimer, though, that I want to make sure everyone is clear on. I wrote this before I heard Ray's sermon Wednesday. Okay, We heard Ray's sermon on the way to church this morning. By the way, would you, I've been meaning to ask you this for weeks. Would you mind recording his and sending it? I was going to ask you if you wanted to. I, if, if, you, if you would, I would like that. We, we always hear you, which is great, but we never get to hear him. But if you would do that, I would appreciate it very much. Sure. Thank Amen. you. Um, but as I'm listening to Ray's sermon this morning, I'm thinking, how did he know what I was going to preach on? Because what I'm going to start with literally picks up where he stopped. Proverbs chapter 25 is where we're at. Please turn there in your Bible. Make sure that what's on the screen is right because I have been known to make mistakes. Verse 14 is where we're at. Proverbs 25 verse 14. Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. This is one of those where if we don't stop and remind ourselves that God is speaking to me, we'll blow over this one. We'll say, well, I've never promised a gift that I didn't give. Uh, if I tell somebody I'm going to give them a gift, I'm going to do it. Okay, This is much, much bigger than literally giving a birthday present. These people are easy to spot, and I submit to you, you see them probably on a regular basis. I'm going to is always the first two words. I'm gonna is always the first two words. I have people in my family, as soon as they say I'm gonna, in my mind I think, no you're not. <laughs> I, mean, I, it, it's, I don't wanna hear it. It's a waste of my time, it's a waste of your voice when you say I'm gonna. And by the way, just never use those words, ever. Never, ever, ever use the words I'm gonna. Why though do we say it? This is so commonly said. Why do we say it? I believe I've identified why we say it. We want the credit now. We want the credit for what we intend to do, and I don't think we're lying when we say I'm going, or I'm gonna. We want the credit now. I have good intentions, so give me credit for it now, even though I haven't actually done the good thing. This hurts other people. It hurts them. All it can do, at the very least, is make them anticipatory of something you're not going to do because in their mind, their imagination is going in different places and what you provide is never, ever going to be what's in their mind because you don't know what's in their mind. <coughs> this almost always hurts others. Peter and the rest of the disciples said Jesus could count on them. That's what Ray read just a few minutes ago. Don't assume Jesus didn't feel anything. 
Jesus knew they were going to betray him. Jesus knew they were going to say that. And they had just taken the first Lord's Supper. Don't assume that Jesus didn't feel, I'm going to. He did. And I submit to you, it made what he had to go through that much worse. The question is, did they lie? I don't think they lied at all. I think they fully intended to do what they said they were going to do. The problem is, is we don't know what the future holds. Jesus said, don't say what you're going to do, just do it. Just do it. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, but don't tell me what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It hurts people. Even though our intentions are well met, it hurts them. We are robbing others of future joy so we can have joy we don't deserve yet. I believe the most guilty of this, and I think these people should be arrested, and I mean that, I think these people should be arrested. The most guilty is a child living in a single parent home, and we all know people like this. Child living in a single parent home, the parent that doesn't live with them, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. And that kid is crushed time after time after time after time after time. Jim Carrey made a movie called Liar Liar based on this simple principle. We are robbing others of future joy so we can have joy we don't deserve yet. A good recommendation, if it starts with, I'm gonna. Don't say it. Just don't. That should be a warning. Don't say what you're about to say. Just do it. Just do it. What does that have to do with Ray's Sermon Wednesday? What does this say about a promise, which Ray talked about God's promises being dependable. Did a wonderful job. Wonderful job. God's promises are dependable. What... And don't respond when you see this because you're going to say, Danny, I can't believe you're saying that. Mm-hmm. Non-Christians and wounded former church members, both of them ask these questions. And if we can't answer them, it validates their position. Let me say that again. Non-Christians, former church members, ask these questions like the one I'm about to ask. And when we can't answer it, it validates their position. It lets them know that what they're doing is okay because that is something that they don't know. Hmm. The only way we can answer this is if we ask it. So as I ask this, please don't be offended. Um, It's a real question. What does it say about Romans 8.28? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Proverbs 25, 14, Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. No one wants to admit it, but sometimes Romans 8, 28 feels like clouds and wind without rain. You don't want to feel that way. You feel guilty for feeling that way. But there are times in our life to where I don't feel any good in this. 
The biggest one in my life was as I watched my mom over the course of my life get sicker and sicker and sicker and then bedridden and then continuing on for another year before she finally did not have one bit of energy to beat one more heartbeat. Where's the good in that? Now look at Jerry. I feel for you. Jerry went through a lot of stuff before he was here. But Jerry's a hurting guy even now. There's no way that he's not. Now look at Ramona. Ramona has been through things before she got here. You have no idea. You could not imagine the stuff that she has to live with. At, not dad. I'm talking about the problems. The problems that she had to go through. Where's the good in that? Feels like clouds and wind without rain when we say, well, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God who are the cobbled according to his purpose. A non-Christian, a former Christian, says, show me. But we don't want to show them. We don't want to try to show them. We just want to quote the verse because we know it is true. The problem is, is they don't accept that it's true. They see this as a big hole in the whole Christian thing. All things work together for good. Is it clouds and wind without rain? This is our fault when we see this as clouds and wind without rain. It's our fault. And I'm going to show you right now, and I hope this is something that stays with you for the rest of your life. God never, ever, ever boasts himself of a false gift. Never. So when God says all things work together for good, the good is there. Period. It's there. Ever does God never, ever, ever makes that boast. There is good in everything that Christian experiences, including my mom, including Jerry, including Ramona, and the one that you're thinking of. There is good in every single one. If not, God boasts himself of a false gift. You say, Danny, I can't believe you're saying this stuff. If it's not going to work, then why in the world do we support it with our money? Why in the world do we go to church every single time if it's not going to work in real life? I'm submitting to you it does work in real life. When you preached Wednesday, you listed the promises. And one hit me right between the eyes. He promised us health. And the first thing I thought of was, what about my mom? Nothing mm. against you. But every time I hear, particularly TV preachers, these people just, uh, <laughs> what about my mom? We choose not to look for the good. True. We choose not to look for the good. Somehow, it makes us feel better <clears throat> to be angry. Now look at my mom. I don't remember one day where she was healthy, ever. But the last few years were awful. It makes me feel better about being angry if there is no good. But to look for good Suddenly, that puts me with a task. 
And it's a task that I really, really don't want to do because this could be a difficult task. It could be a lot of work to find the good that God says is there. When we decide not to look for the good, every single time, when we decide to look for the good, that was reversed, sorry about that. When we decide to look for the good, every single time, life will be so much more enjoyable, even if nothing changes. When we choose to look for the good, life will be so much more enjoyable, even if nothing changes. Even for my mom. Even for Jerry. Even for Ramona. Even for the one that you're thinking about. Even if nothing changes. Life can be much more enjoyable if we will choose to look for the good. Well, what if I look and there's nothing there? If there's nothing there, then stop going to church. It's that simple. If God's promises don't work, then don't waste your time and money on it. I submit to you, God always keeps His promises. Right, Ray? Dependable every time. You said it. I heard it. <laughs> if what Ray said is true, there's good there. All I'm gonna find it. Just gotta find it. But I've got to choose to look for it. What is the good? I'm gonna do something now that I stopped doing weeks ago. Ladies, I'm sorry. Okay, this is not for you unless you talk to a man and have him voice it. I believe very strongly if we're going to obey the New Testament, we've got to obey the New Testament. So, David, if you've got something you want to say, say it to Wade, let Wade say it. Tracy, you got something to say? Follow me, say it through Ray, that sort of thing. Um, um, Lala. <laughs> so, don't call her Lala. Don't call her Lala. Okay? Reach over and, and with Ray's ear. There's, there's men around. Michelle's not going to say anything because she agrees with everything I say. <laughs> men and ladies through the men I want you to challenge me right now with any Bible story I can't, I'm not going to go into specifics in your life because I don't know all the specifics in your life every Bible story though every Bible story has good in it no matter how bad it is, I want you to throw one at me and let's see if we can find the good. Anybody, throw one out. What's the big one? Job. Job's the big one. Now, Job's the easy one. Yeah. Why is Job the easy one? Because God spelled it out, but not to Job. God spelled it out, but not to Job. Had Job known the good that was there, and there's so much good there that Job had no clue of, had Job known it, I submit to you, he would have volunteered for it. But God did not give Job this information. Job just had to trust that it is there. But was there good there or not? Yes. God bragged on Job. Imagine Job getting to heaven and finally getting to read the book of Job and saying, Wow. And then one day, having all the different people die and go up there and meet him and say, Job, thank you for what you did. Thank you helped me so much. Job, you helped me so much. Job, he's getting that right and left. Job, thank you. Just, the good is there if we choose to look for it. Give me another one. 
Do we need to go through our Bible stories again? All right. The second big one is Joseph. Okay. The good in Joseph. Joseph gets kidnapped. Jacob. Um, um, Jephthah. Huh? Jephthah. What? Jephthah. Jephthah. Good. That's a good one. Let's finish Joseph first and we'll come back to it. But don't let me forget. Okay. Joseph gets kidnapped by his own brothers. Jacob, his father, believes he's dead. Jacob goes into deep depression. We totally lose Jacob for 12 years of his life until Joseph comes back in Jacob's life. What's the good in Joseph? Well, clearly, God fed the world. But it's so much bigger than that. Joseph teaches us there is, in fact, good there. Joseph was just an illustration for us to trust Romans 8.28. If nothing else... We can use Joseph to trust that there's going to be good, even if it doesn't show up the way we think that it should. Jephthah. You may not agree with what I'm going to say, but I believe it in my heart. Jephthah, if you don't remember, was a man who lived in the days of the judges. There was no king. Um, Moses and, um, and uh, Joshua are all, both gone. And Jephthah is called upon to rescue Israel from their captors. Can't remember who they were, but they were captured by somebody. Jephthah stupidly, stupidly said, God, if you'll give me victory, I will sacrifice to you whatever comes out of my house. Okay? Jephthah goes and has victory. He comes back and he's happy, not thinking twice about what his promise he made. He gets back home and guess what comes out of his house? His daughter. When I say stupidly, what made him think she wouldn't be the first one to come out? What is the good that happened in her death? Because he killed her like he promised and God let him kill her like he promised. We, we have the story of uh, Abraham and Isaac and God stopping Abraham. God did not stop Jephthah. What's the good in that? Number one, all of us think twice before we make promises to God. Now, from Jephthah's perspective, that was worth it. Number two, Jephthah's daughter is still remembered to this day. And from Jephthah's perspective, it's worth it. You say, how is that worth it? She's dead. No, she's not. Okay? The dream that you had three nights ago, do you remember what it was? Okay, that's this life. Our life's like a dream, okay? It's over like that, and then we're in heaven, and that's when the real life happens. We say, all that bad stuff, so what? It didn't mean anything. It didn't really hurt me. It, you know, it was okay. It wasn't that bad. Next. Jephthah's daughter, in between Jephthah's victory and her death, I think it was like three months in there. What good happened there? She really, truly lived in those three months. Even though it was sad, but she knew to live today like it might be the last because she experienced that. People this is very, very common. People who have had close to death experiences, not 
after, not, not in the head, but literally, I had cancer, I was supposed to die, and, and now I've got the rest of my life back. Those people value life. And so in those three months, she valued her life. Again, these may not be things that you agree with, but I challenge you this. Number one, is it there? If it's not, God's a liar. Number two, if it is, why don't we bother to look? We just assume it's bad. Thank you for that one. That's a hard one. There's a lot of other hard ones. Ananias and Sapphira. Everybody at church who's deciding to help everybody else. They say, you know, we got this piece of property, we're going to sell it and give the money to church. The thing is, we're going to not tell them how much we got, we're going to give them a certain amount and let them assume that's what we got. Well, everybody was not doing it that way. Everybody was giving it. it was, so the question was asked, the money you put in, is that really what you got for the field? They said, oh yeah, absolutely. Fell down dead at different times. What's the good in that? I submit to you, in heaven, which I believe they were saved, looking down and seeing the problems they they stopped, they prevented. The issues in church that didn't happen because that story is there. I submit to you they would say it's worth it. I'd do it again. I would. We can do this with every single Bible story if we will simply try. If we can do it with the Bible stories, we can do it in our own life. The good has to be there. If not, we're going to be surrounded by clouds and wind without rain, and a lot of people, that's how they live. I was watching Charles Stanley this morning. He said, when you pray, you've got to pray in faith. You've got to believe God's going to do it. He said, but a lot of times we don't do that. He said, a lot of times... We, we, we pray and we give God this back we give God a back door so in case he doesn't do it it's okay he says we, we still have this anxiety we walk around with because maybe he will maybe he'll he says you've got to have faith you've got to have faith alright what about mom you telling me nobody in this world had because people were praying for my mom around the world for over a year Nobody had faith. Because literally, all, I just need one. I just need one person with enough faith and God has to give her healing. I submit to you, faith's got nothing to do with it. God's going to do what He's going to do. Prayer's got nothing to do with it. God's going to do what He's going to do. What is the purpose of faith and prayer? It's so that when we give our request to God, we can say, God, I trust you and we can relax. The anxiety leaves knowing he's going to do what is good. The anxiety is not there because we know there is good because God never, ever, ever breaks a promise. But we don't do it. It's easier to be angry. When, and I'm as guilty as anybody, I've got to remind myself of this stuff. When it feels like God's word is clouds and moon without rain, we got to stop and decide to look. We got to see through the clouds. I heard of a man one time that was recommended he turn to Jesus, and his answer was, "That's like waiting for a train that never shows up." Mm -hmm. 
non-Christians, former church members, they all say the same thing. Well, I had faith. All of them had an experience where they can point to and say, well, where was God then? I'm telling you, in the life of a saved person, not unsaved people, unsaved people got no promises from God except hell ultimately. In the life of saved people, there is good all the way through. What we need to do is decide to look for it. If you want to talk about, more, about this more later, please, let's talk it out. I think it's very important that we don't allow each other to get discouraged. If not, the whole church becomes discouraged. By long forbearing, a prince is persuaded. By long forbearing, a prince is persuaded. By continuing to nicely ask, accepting whatever answer is returned, that's what forbearing is. Forbearing is not pestering. Okay? I was told at Disney after a year and a half of 20,000 leagues, if you want to move to a different attraction, you've got to ask and you've got to ask regularly so they don't forget. You've got to be first and foremost on their mind. Well, I found a supervisor and said, I want to change. I want to change. I, want to. I bet I told him that 50 times in two weeks. He says, Danny, I know you want to change. Why do you keep asking? I said, well, I was told the squeaky wheel gets the grease. He said, not here. Not here. I decided to shut up and let him do his job. And guess what? 30 days later, I was in a different place. Because it was his job to do. Continuing to nicely ask, accepting whatever answer is returned. That is forbearing. It is not Pestering. Jesus taught this about prayer with the woman who kept going back and kept going back and he says because she keeps coming and keeps coming I'll give her what she wants. But the part we miss is she's accepting the answer. She doesn't get mad. She doesn't yell at the king. How do we know she didn't do that? Because he would have killed her. He would have stopped her from coming. She was accepting his answer but she never stopped asking. We need to keep asking but accepting the answer. That's the key to prayer, is trust that God is going to do what is best regardless. Sorry, Charles Stanley. I can have all the faith in the world. And everybody my dad knows can have all the faith in the world that my mom's going to get better. She ain't going to get better because God's declared she's coming home at a certain time and this is how she's coming home at a certain time. And it doesn't matter how much prayer went up for her. If we think about this, this is going to be another one of those times you'll say, I can't believe he said that. What kind of a God would say, you know what, I would have done it, but you didn't get enough people praying for you. What a jerk. There was a day in Arcadia me and Michelle were at Diane Jen's house. Dad and Ramona were at their house. And I said something stupid. I don't remember what. But it made Michelle mad. That made me mad. I didn't want to be there no more. But if I left, it would leave her stranded. Two plus two equals four. I can't be there, but I can't leave her stranded. I started to walk. 
And I walked and I walked and I walked and it's a lot farther from Diane Jensen's house to here than you can possibly imagine. At a certain point I said, I, I'm, I'm in a bad place. It's hot. I'm too far to go back. It's still too far to go. I'll ask my earthly father. Pick up the phone and say, hey dad, uh, I did something stupid. Um, could you help me out? You know what he said? He said, get 10 of your friends to call me and ask me, and if I get all 10 requests at a certain period of time, then maybe I will, and maybe I won't. No, he knew I needed it. He did it. Just did it. Is he a better father than my heavenly father? No. Okay, what I can trust is he's going to do what's best. On the other hand, let's put me at Diane Jen's house. I'm fighting with Michelle, and, and I want to leave. I called Dad and said, Dad, will you come get me? He says, hmm, let me think about that. You're fighting with your wife. You're not in danger. You know what? I'm going to leave you there and let you figure it out. That's a good father. It's a good father. Regardless of how much trust I've got in him, he's going to be a good father. It's what, who he is. He has to do it. We have to forget about putting God on a leash and saying, this is what you have to do, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make you do it. We've got to get over that mindset and start looking for the good that is there. Continue to nicely ask. Okay, we're told by Jesus, put your, you know, cast your cares on me. Uh, bring your, your cares. To, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but we're told several times to pray. Continue to nicely ask, but accept whatever answer is given. That's where we get to release the emotion. Jesus taught us about prayer. Okay, a soft tongue breaketh the bone. By long forbearing, a prince is persuaded, and a soft tongue breaketh the bone in the same way. Proverbs 15:1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Something in us makes us want to help those who don't demand it. Something in us makes us want to help those who don't demand it. I've got three kids. Julio never asked for anything. And I submit to you, when he calls me and does ask for something, he's going to get it. Because I know it's real. I know it's real. There have been times where I knew he was in trouble, but he didn't ask me. I want him to become a man, and so I monitor the situation, so there's no danger. But if there becomes danger, the man is going to step in. Maya called us one night, 11 o'clock. I'm in South Carolina. How did you come? We got in the car, we went. There's certain things a parent does because it's the right thing, but there's a lot of other things a parent will step back and say, you know what, this is the answer for you. You're totally safe. It's going to be fine. Just relax and work through it. Grow through it. Become stronger because of it. But when it comes right down to it, people that don't ask for help, we, we just instinctively want them to. What We want to help those type of people. On the other hand, demanding action. I got a kid that, not Samantha, not Julio, 
it feels like sometimes this person demands action. Demanding action rarely accomplishes the goal. I figure out a way to wiggle out of it. When we go to God demanding action, we're setting ourselves up for defeat. But I've got enough faith. I submit to you, you don't see that in Scripture. Faith that God's going to do what's best. That's what we do see in Scripture all over the place, and that's what everybody, everybody's ever say experiences. But faith to make God do something, you're not going to find that. It's just not there. 16. Hast thou found honey? Proverbs 24, 13. My son, eat thou honey, because it's good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to thy taste. We talked about honey is much better than sugar, artificial sweetener, or nothing at all, because honey is actually good for us. We can get some sweetness out of it and some goodness out of it, unless we're diabetic. In that case, it doesn't apply. Eat so much as is sufficient for thee if you have found this good thing. Eat so much as is sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomit it. Too much of anything is bad. Too much of anything is bad. How can I tell if I am overindulging in good things? It's like, is that a real question? Dad tells a story about a woman with a child who's never home, ever, always gone, always gone. One day this child hears about a Bible club. Kid says, oh, I got nothing else to do. Mom's not here. I'll go to the Bible club. Gets to the Bible club, guess who the teacher is? The mom. That's what she's doing at Bible club, Bible club. But she's neglecting her own kid. She's overindulging in something good. Preachers do this all the time. They get so wrapped up in what's going on, next thing you know, it's been three days since they talked to their family. How can I tell if I'm doing that? Ask those who depend on us. They will readily tell you. Are they getting what they need, or are you taking what is more than sufficient for you? This is where I made my biggest mistake in the pastorate. Because I was giving the church everything and giving my wife nothing. I failed miserably at that first marriage. Miserably. But this is one of the biggest reasons is I did not accept my limitations. I'm a husband. I've got responsibilities, which means I've got to take time for those responsibilities. Ask our loved ones, are they getting what they need? If they say no, then figure out a way to get it to them. They know if you're overindulging in something good. I wonder why Solomon didn't include this. I wonder why Solomon didn't include this. How many of Solomon's wives felt like they had a husband? That's just one possibility. Withdraw thy foot from thy neighbor's house, lest he be weary of thee and so hate thee. In other words, don't go too often. You're going to love this one. And what I'm going to tell you is true. It's absolutely true. Mom's in heaven, so she can't yell at me until I get there. 
<laughs> we had a lady on our street when I was little. I'm not going to tell you her name, but Dad would know who I'm talking about. You may figure it out just by the story. This woman came to talk to Mom every single day. Every single day. Come walking up. We knew she was coming. We knew what it was going to be like when she got there. She's going to complain about anything and everything because, well, you're the pastor's wife, and that's kind of what you do is you get all the problems and pray for me. Well, it got to where Mom was sick enough to where she had had enough. I'll never forget it. She told me to watch. So I'd spend a half hour watching because she always came about the same time. Watch. I saw her around the edge of the next house. I said, here she comes. She said, turn out the lights. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is true. We went and sat still. She said, be still. And lady started to knock. And knock. And knock. I know y'all are in there. I'm telling you, that really did happen. Why? She wore a welcome out. Withdraw thy foot from my neighbor's house, lest he be weary of thee, and so hate thee. Hatred, like love, is not an emotion. It's an action. He will treat you negatively. You're not going to get what you want because you've already taken too much of what he has to give. Proverbs 18.24, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. That's more than just being there all the time. That's actually making sure he gets what he needs. And there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus never gives us too much, but never too little either. This one is very closely related to the last proverb with the eating too much honey. How can I tell if I'm overindulging in good things in this area? I'm spending too much time in one particular place. Ask those two dependents. What would my mom have said if this lady had said, I really hope I'm not bothering you. I guarantee you my mom would have said, it might be nice a couple of times if you depended on the Lord instead of me. Mom would have figured out a way to say it, but she would have got the point across. Problem solved. Good things, too much, are bad. We've got We've got to stop and ask God, Lord, show me what's in my heart. David prayed that to God. He said, examine my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. He wasn't bragging that there's not something there. He's saying, something I'm missing. If there's something I'm missing, please show it to me. Father, please help us to see past our emotions. Help us to see past our selfishness. Help us to see past a lack of faith in you and doing what's right. Please show us when we are our own worst enemy. Thank you that you've proved over and over and over again you love us and you will rescue us when the time is right, if necessary. Father, help us to recognize those problems before we get into them. Help us to seek you knowing 
that you know what the next step should be, not what we think it needs to be. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.